This episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast is produced by Cake Pie Games. Cake Pie Games, games that are a piece of cake to set up and easy as pie to teach. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host, Andrew. Yes. I I need to ask you something. Okay. What, what do you call it when you get Novocaine in your mouth, but you're trying to greet somebody? Uh, a numb hello? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, a numb hello. Oh, God bless. <laughs> I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Oh, jeez. All right. Oh, Voyagers, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is That was beautiful. That was I'm so happy right now. That was so good. <laughs> it is so good to have you here. As always, I am your numb hello of a host, Josh. And with me is my second never numb but always awesome co-host. Uh, yeah, I'm Andrew. And today we have a special guest. It is Ammon Anderson, designer of Numb Hollow. No, sorry. <laughs> Gnome Hollow. Not numb, hello. Uh, Amon, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it's super great to be on here. I appreciate you guys having me. So here's the thing about Ammon, Andrew. Okay. People may not know his name, in my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're in the hobby like us. You've heard of his game. Yes. So Ammon, Gnome Hollow has been, especially in the design and publishing circles, has been whispered it's like almost like the one ring it's like it's whispered like well what is this game (laughs) it's coming it's gonna bring it's gonna bring the hobby to its knees so tell tell us about yourself what is who are you what do you do in the the industry and what is gnome hollow yeah so um again yeah uh my name is ammon and um i'm a game designer and an illustrator and so gnome hollow is really like kind of a personal project and it ended up just being something really important to me. So like, again, like it was really a personal project and I took it way too far and I illustrated the heck out of it. And I made prototypes that were kind of like off the hook and exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. And then I took it to board game conventions and the people who sat down at my table were not who I was expecting. And it just like caught fire. And so uh, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. That's who I am. I'm a game designer. Well, we're happy to have in the show, and I have to say that you know it is whispered on the wind or whatever not, but it's based on the quality. Like people are talking about this game because you spent love into it, not just the art, not just the components, but apparently the game design itself shows through, and it's beautiful to play from what I've heard, let alone to look at. And so, congratulations on your talent to be able to put all those things into one package. Most of us have to have four hobbies that we can spread all the love across little ways in order to kind of get all our completeness. So that's what I've heard and I cannot wait to try it out myself. So congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. So you also run levity games, which is, I think a sticker, a sticker company where you make, actually you go ahead. What is levity games? I looked on your Etsy page, some great stuff there, but go ahead and give us an opportunity to talk about that. So levity games is something that like after, uh, I was in a car wreck and I couldn't actually run my other business. And I was working on Gnome Hollow. My wife saw my prototypes and she's like, this is so cute. Like, you look at your 
your meeples are so beautiful. She's like, you should do this for other games. And so I started actually like making sort of upgrades for other games uh, that I already had in my collection. And I just threw mm-hmm. them on Etsy and sell and they did. And so um, I do like sticker upgrades for board games. People generally like them. Some people are like, I hate stickers so much. You're my worst enemy. But <laughs> um, other people are like, I don't know. Like when I got a Lego kit as a kid, my favorite part was putting the stickers on the pieces that had stickers. Okay. I love that. So it's kind of like that. Um, it's that marriage between like the graphic design technical side, the illustrator art side of me, and then like the board gamer side. So like they all kind of like merge together and um, they're fun. They people really love them, and every now and then people say they're peeling off, and we got a bad batch of sticker paper, and then we replace them. I think there's something really cool about upgrading the thing that you already like. I, I really do. I feel like that's one of the parts of the hobby that people don't talk about enough, but it brings me joy. Um, I have bought whole other games just because I wanted the uh, a better experience, or I'd worn down a game to nothing, and I'm like, well, I got to get a new version of the game because I don't want to play the worn down version. And then I find out there's a way that I can go and and get specialized speckled eggs from my wingspan. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That sounds pretty cool. Or I can get a new dice tower for my wingspan game. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Like. I'm going to do all the things that make my game that I love and I enjoy more beautiful and get more enjoyment out of it. So thank you for providing another outlet for it. Now I got to go to your page and probably buy some stuff off of that. Well, that's fun. You'll like it. And hopefully if you see something on there that's missing, then just shoot me a message and uh, I will happily go buy a new game. It's (laughs) it's a real sacrifice, but, uh, and then I like make stickers for it. So so one thing that's really unique about your art, having seen, thank you for sharing uh, the the some of the art for Gnome Hall that's going to come out. What, what, why watercolors? Like that's not something you see. I can't think of a game that actually did like the watercolor style that you did. What do you find satisfying about using watercolors in your game? Well, so watercolors. I hated watercolor when I was young. My mom uh, majored in watercolor in college. And so I grew up around watercolor and I watched her watercolor. And every time I would try it as a younger person, I would get impatient. And I think watercolor is an old man's game. So (laughs) it is, it is not like intuitive. It's super frustrating and you can ruin things fast. And I think like the older I've gotten, the more I like the challenge of moving that around on the paper in a way that like is so much more subtle and beautiful. So like Gnome Hall came about because I wanted to paint <clears throat> this meadow and um, well, it, well, it came about because I started painting the meadow as like almost like a self like healing thing. Like it made me mm-hmm. feel better. I'd had a concussion. And so, um, but watercolor worked really good. Um, working on a screen at the time really hurt my eyes because of concussion and the post-concussion syndrome. So lights were really, really bad. And I didn't need lights to paint with watercolor. I could sit near a window and, and just move things around and not stare at a screen. And then it just really has fit the theme really well. The idea that gnomes are kind of whimsical and fun and, and very nature, right? natural Mm -hmm. 
watercolor feels really natural and it feels like you're connecting with that whole nature natural theme it is and listening to you talk actually makes me think that watercolor is the golf of art like you can't play <laughs> golf and be impatient you have to kind of like let it come to you and play it out and yeah. like just some interesting similarities there listening to you talk about watercolor and i you know i'm a son of a, an art teacher and so i've tried every single art and i think i agree with you watercolor didn't work for me as a child but maybe it's something i need to try again now now that i have a little more patience a little more time a little more ability to let it play out and let it evolve as it needs to um so it's very cool and interesting that you put it framed that way so thank you yeah you should try it it's fun i love it isn't it i love it now when i was younger no <laughs> I my wife is a big watercolorer too. I guess it's watercolorist, whatever the proper term. What is the proper term for that? I don't know. I, <laughs> I like putting water on paper, so it's fun. Fair enough. Well, my instruments are starting to go back and forth saying we need to get everything ready. So let's head to our pre-launch and talk about one game we have played recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. Yeah, so I recently picked up a copy of Wonderful Kingdom. I have played It's a Wonderful World, which most people have played. is a very good game. This one is a drafting set collection recipe fulfillment game, but apparently it didn't play very well two players. And I'm so glad I didn't buy a copy of it then because I play almost all my games two players. So it's very rare that I get to play more than two players. So they made a Wonderful Kingdom, which is a medieval version of It's a Wonderful World, and it's specifically for two players. It changes things up a little bit, but it retains that entire feel of things. It's just a little more, a little tiny bit of take that and a little bit more of a blocking kind of thing. But uh, I played it recently, really liked it. Can't wait to break it out some more. Um, Really good. So highly recommend that one. Josh, what have you been playing? So I've been playing Old Gods of Appalachia. What this is, this is what's called a cipher system game based on the podcast of the same name, which is a alternate Appalachia kind of dark horror themed podcast. Quite excellent. Very well produced. I love it to death. And the RPG that Monty Cook is doing this thing where they're taking these popular podcasts like, like I can't, they, they just did one recently, I can't remember because I haven't listened to it before, but they're taking these popular anthology podcasts and making RPGs of them because they have this world already built. All they got to do mm-hmm. is insert into a game, and Old Gods was the first one they did. Okay. And so in How Old Gods of Appalachia Works, the RPG, it's a big book RPG, it is a D20 system where you're just rolling one D20, very similar to D&D, but instead of having to set difficulty levels 1 through 20, you just set it 1 through 10. And you multiply the number by three, and that's the difficulty rating. So if it's a difficulty of nine, you have to roll a 27. Obviously, on D20, you can't roll a 27, but the players, mm. through their abilities, have the opportunity to what's called ease the score. So if it ease something by one level, say like I ease my nine to an eight, it goes down to a 24. Say another player helps you with whatever ability they have, they ease it again, brings it down to a 21. Maybe another player helps you out. It's all about working together to ease the ratings of these difficulty challenges to make it more possible okay so that's kind of a really just thing you have something called the ciphers which is basically how you create your characters not like rolling stats you just get stats by choosing a statement a name and a class like i am a rock and roll sage who fears no hates in this instance and okay. that phrase right there gives you all your abilities and all your classes for the next time you play this character interesting 
All right, so our listeners all know that you are a huge Cthulhu guy, so I'm assuming there are Cthulhu-esque things in these old gods of Appalachia. Otherwise, this would not be a game you really love. So I am a Cthulhu guy. What makes this really... This has lots of cosmic horror stuff into it and cosmic horror groundwork, but I think what makes this so great is that the cosmic horror can be understood. Which okay. cosmic horror is, is all about, you know, you, you, the fear of the unknown. Right. This is like more of a, a, like a deeper dive into the grounded, a grounded reality of horror, okay. which may, may or may not make sense. But what, basically, what's this? Like the most powerful beings you'll ever run to in this world are nowhere close to the beings that are the most powerful in the universe. Okay. So like one, one of the creatures is called is like a, a deer. I don't want to get his name. His name, the actual name of the creature, is called he whose name sounds like horned head, but is not. That's the actual okay. name of the creature, and he has a whole history behind him. But he's like one of the most difficult creatures you'll ever come across. You'll never be able to defeat him. But he's not even the most powerful creature in the universe because those creatures sleep. Whereas in more Cthulhu mythos, you'll get be able to encounter those creatures like you know, a Oxithoth and Cthulhu, and Magog, and stuff like that. So it's. It's a little bit different, why? But that's why I like, you know, because I like old, the old god system and the old gods setting better. Because one, I live in Appalachia, close to it at least, mm-hmm. and two, it's just you know something about Southern Hicks going up against Cthulhu makes me happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? But, yeah. But that. But this is fantastic. I ran, I've run two one shots of it. Both of them went off in different directions with the same kind of overlay wonderful game way better than D&D fifth edition and gives you the same kind of feel with the leveling and how the stats work and how the rolling works. So highly recommend for anyone who's looking for a different kind of game beyond the fifth edition D&D and maybe not be into Cthulhu as much because this is has, it's like sprinkles of Cthulhu, but really the cake of the game is much more, you know, much more delicious than I think those who aren't as deeply fans of Cthulhu as I am, but that's a old gods of Appalachia. I've been talking for a while. Ammon. You have a game. So the game I played recently that I just really enjoyed was, it's called, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Uh, it's called Gugong. I believe have that's right. It? It yeah. right. Yes. So this was a Kickstarter uh, game. I think I actually picked up a publisher, but uh, Tasty Minstrel. But it's really like interesting and it's a beautiful game. And it's a fun worker placement where everyone's trying to build a relationship with uh well, they're using all of the intricacies of, uh, like, ancient China's um, sort of complex bureaucracy. And everyone's kind of leveraging all those different things by, like, working in different areas and giving gifts to different people, all in an attempt to gain favor with the uh, emperor and to receive an audience with the emperor. And so, like, if you don't actually receive an audience with the emperor... You can't even be qualified to win the game. So, like, if the game ends and only one person's actually gotten to, like, meet the Emperor, they're automatically the winner. But if two people do, then it's based on, like, all the favors and and gifts and things that they've done. So, it was actually, like, really good and really interesting with... it's It plays almost like a whole bunch of mini-games that are all part of, like, this bureaucracy that all combine into, like, one giant strategy. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of the board, and it does look like a bunch of different games kind of pieced together. So that all makes sense to me. Uh, very interesting. I'll have to look forward to playing this at some point. This is very interesting. Yeah, it's super fun. It's not. It's not terribly long. I think it's about an hour. 
hour and a half. Well, my instruments are set. The steam is boiling. The uranium is going crazy. We are ready to rock this, rock this dive. So let's go ahead and shoot right down to whatever we have to share. Good sir. The helm is yours. Whoa. Okay, so um, I guess what I wanted to share with you guys is like sort of a little bit of my year and kind of what happened. So okay. with Gnome Hollow, I like if you haven't heard of Gnome Hollow, it is uh, the game is actually like a tile placement game with a developing worker placement uh, that grows on top of a board that's growing with tiles. Okay. So like as you're playing the game the worker placement is being developed and chosen by the players on what's coming out. The game, I designed it to be like fairly like accessible so that you could play it like with your family, but you can also like play it pretty strategically. So it really is based on how players approach the game. But when I had built this game, I built this game in response to uh, basically a really bad car wreck I was in. And mm -hmm. I started painting the meadow uh, essentially from as a way to like relieve like the headache, the migraine that I'd been having for six months. And it was the only thing that started to bring me like out of that pain and, and stress. And so I could function. And then when I realized what I was painting, I was like, Whoa, there's a game here. So I started like, actually like I threw that first painting away and I made another painting that was designed based on like a hexagonal grid because that's what I wanted it to be. Right. And I had to make sure that all my paths worked within a hexagonal grid. And so I drew out like, totally new meadow and I painted it and then I scanned it in and started working on it a little bit digitally, but I went through a lot of development. I worked on this game for about two years and then I decided to enter it into some competitions. And so it was a finalist, uh, this, this year for the ion award and it was a finalist for the cardboard Edison. And so that got me some attention and I decided to take the game to, uh, my, a good friend of mine, his name is Brent Brinkerhoff. Have you ever heard of the game Oros? Yes. It's like a tile shifting game. Mm -hmm. So he made Oros and it's fantastic. And uh, I can't speak highly enough about Oros, but he was going down to um, Vegas for the um, uh, Dice Tire West. And he goes, you should just come with me and we'll split a room. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. So I took it down there and we, I didn't, I've never gone into like the prototype rooms at a convention. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. I've just never have. I've never been in there. So we just set it up in the main hall and he set up Oros in the main hall and people were coming over and saying, Hey, can we play your game? I'm like, sure. And so like, it was unbelievable. Like within like the first day, like we had 15 play tests just That's in the main crazy. hall. People coming over and sitting down and I was like, Whoa, what the heck? And I had people saying like, Hey, can I sign up for next game? Like almost like planning for it. And uh, so we were playing our games from like 10 o'clock in the morning until like two o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. every day for four days. It was unbelievable. And during that time, like in the evening when it was finally slowing down late one night, it was like 11 o'clock. Um, somebody from um, Born Dice. I don't know if you guys know Rainer. Have you met Rainer at a convention? I've, I've heard of him. Dude, the guy's a legend. He like walks around and like, he'll teach you any game. If you ever see Rainer from Born Dice and you're like, Hey, you know how to play this game? That dude knows how to play everything. It's unreal. <laughs> he's like he's like game rules savant. Do you that's, know what I'm that's saying? That's a power. Yeah, that is. 
It's unreal. And so, like, he had sat down, and he's like, okay, teach me your game. Uh, and then Brie, from, at the time she was with Lucky Duck, and now she's moved on to another company, but... She's at Arcane Wonders right now. She is with Arcane Wonders, and she's phenomenal. Um, and then she waved over another guy, and he sat down, and he introduced himself as John, and I was kind of explaining the game, because they were asking some questions, and then I invited him to play, and, and John's like, I actually don't have time to play. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So we continue to talk and answer questions. And so about five minutes later, John goes, actually, I would like to play a few rounds, but I can only play five or six rounds. And I was like, okay, John, let's, let's do this. So we start playing and we played probably like eight rounds. And then I realized like I had gone over what I had agreed, he had agreed to. And I, and so it was in the middle of his turn. I cut him off and I was like, I'm so sorry, John. I, you said five or six rounds and we played eight rounds. And I said, so let me just tell you how this game ends. And I, I said, you know, you're going to do this and this and this and tension's going to go up here and the market's going to happen like this. And I said, but you have a pretty good idea of the game, but I know you said you had other places to be tonight. And so cut him off. And Bree turned to me and looked at me like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Stop. And that's when I realized I didn't know who John was. And John uh, ends up playing the game. He said some very, very nice things about my game. And then he congratulated me and he got up and he walked away. And then they told me that that was the CEO of AEG. Wow. It was John Zinter. And nice. I was like stunned because like I'd never played with a publisher before. Right. Um, I really wasn't looking for a publisher for Gnome Hollow, if you can believe it. I was mm-hmm. taking it to conventions to sort of build my mailing list so that I could take it to Kickstarter. And Bree, who was sitting at the table, was sending pictures like to everybody she was taking pictures and shooting them to her boss and saying like you got to look at this and she basically encouraged me to take the game at that table to uh to bring it to gamma expo Mm -hmm. it was in april and so i committed to taking it to gamma expo and brent and i went to gamma and honestly like that's when it got crazy like that's when everything blew up like the the first night we were there, I was just like walking through the circle bar at in Reno and met Kurt Covert and Kurt Covert played mm-hmm. the game. And Kurt Covert was like, wow, I don't really do this very much. Like, can I have a prototype? And I was like, I have four prototypes. You can have one. And I'm like, sure. you're the first person that's ever asked for a prototype. You can have one. <laughs> um, so I gave one to him and he was just incredible i don't know if you've ever worked with kurt he's a phenomenal and, person let alone a publisher and yes they're killing it with boop right now we've had him on the show we're big fans yeah. boop and tesseract and a whole bunch of other mm-hmm. really cool yeah right? like he's just rocking it and so and i like i remember brian and i went back to our hotel room that night we're like what the heck people are actually interested in Nomalo. and he's like i knew they were going to be interested in Nomalo. and i'm like you know when you make a game Unless you're like a total narcissist, like you kind of assume like, you know, I think it's good, but somebody else, I mean, like other people, it's subjective, right? Very much so. It's subjective. And I, I guarantee people are going to play Nome Hollow and be like, dude, I don't understand why this is like, why this is getting so much hype. And then other people are like, are you kidding me? I hate you. Like, this is the best game. Like, it's, so it's, it's games are subjective. I've fully experienced to hear both sides <laughs> yeah but uh the second night at, have you guys been to game expo i have not yet had the pleasure i plan on going next year yeah 
Okay, you guys should go. Super fun. And I think next year it's like in Yeah, I as well. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. So, so mm-hmm. I don't know Kentucky, but it's in Louisville. You know, I've been to Louisville. There's not a lot there. I yeah. hope they have enough hotel rooms. There's plenty of bourbon. That's good enough for me. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the second night they had was called Game Night. And I'm thinking, okay, perfect. I'm going to show off Gnome Hollow. This is going to be great. It's game night. But all the tables, and I learned this later, were rented tables. So, like, a publisher paid money mm-hmm. to have a table where they could show off, like, upcoming games. Yeah. And they were not cheap. Those were, like, very expensive three-hour tables. Like, I think it was, like, 500 bucks for three hours. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, I just found an empty table, and I set up my game. <laughs> I didn't. So (laughs) let's see here. Um, Wes from Quackalope sat down, and he was with Quackalope at the time. This Mm -hmm. is before like the scandal. And Scott from Lucky Duck Games, Mm -hmm. he sat down. And uh, Austin from Ivy Studio sat down. Oh, nice! Yeah. And uh, another publisher. They're actually wonderful. I don't know if you've played anything from Bitewing Games, but they Mm -hmm. sat down at the table and. They played my game, and they were loving it. And people started coming by, and they're taking pictures, and they're saying, whose game is this? And I was like, this is my game. And they're like, you're running a table. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just am here. And so like, we, we set up, and we play the game. <laughs> and at the end, Wes from Quackalope stands up, and he says, literally like, pardon my French, holy this is amazing. I love this game so much. This game's going to go places. And like, Every room in the every head in the room turned and looked at our table and like a mob started to form like right there at game night and like I started feeling claustrophobic and people yeah. were excited and like people started asking questions they wanted to know who I was <laughs> and they wanted to know who made my prototype and then I'd said I made my prototype and so you're getting like sort of stream of consciousness right now but like that was like sort of the birthplace of like what turned into the buzz for Gnome Hollow. That was like that was like the birth moment. That's that's amazing, and I have to say that, yeah, you you have that little bit of imposter syndrome and stuff like that. Like nobody's gonna like my stuff until people start liking your stuff. But I will have to say this also that games I feel like are a form of art. So there are people out there who don't like watercolors or don't like abstracts or don't like cartoons or whatever. But that doesn't mean it's less art, right? Like it's just you got to find your audience. But it sounds yeah. like you were in the right place with the right time with the right setup and you did all the right things. And yeah, I, I completely understand by with you having the art that you have and with you having the ability to do the art, kickstarting, it makes sense because you can do almost all that stuff yourself. Right. Yeah. But that said, going to a publisher, in this case, a publisher coming to you, which is what it sounds like is even better. And I can't wait for that to happen to me someday means that you get all those things that you don't want to do also taken care of so that's also cool so sounds like it found the right home and that's amazing we now have had it been announced so you can tell our audience i can tell this is the first time actually i've been able to say this to anybody but like uh yeah so went through a whole lot of stuff and i ended up selecting the op as my publisher and they're an incredible team Mm um uh in fact it it came the next day. The next day is really where I met the app. I had not heard of them before. And uh, I was being like harassed by publishers who wanted to play my game the next day. Cause they had heard about what had happened the night before. Mm-hmm. And I was so overwhelmed. I literally just, 
uh, Brent looked at me and he goes, dude, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm actually like freaking out. And he goes, dude, why don't you go like grab some food? Like, go take a break. Like, just take off. I'll like, just go hide. So I was literally like heading to the bathroom to just like get away for a minute. I needed okay. a break. And I was passing the table and there was this really cool thing on the table and I was immediately drawn to it. I stopped. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. I had an idea once to do something like this. And that's where I met Tony Serbiani. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony was with the op and he goes, how are you finding the convention? And I was like, dude, like this place is crazy. Publishers won't leave me alone. And he goes, why? And I said, well, I have this game called Gnome Hollow and it was under my arm in a little plastic case. And I showed it to him for a second and he goes, well, that looks interesting. He's like, they're really interested. And I was like, dude, I told him what I had just told you. And then the guy across the table from him started laughing and said, you know, he's a major publisher, right? And I was like, oh crap, I'm so sorry. And as I'm backpedaling to try to like get away from the situation, he's like, dude, do you look like a guy who could just use some coaching? Like, do you need like someone to talk to? Like, I'm not going after your game. I just want to talk to you. And he became like a, like a real friend that week. I love that. Uh, so, uh, he ended up being a friend and we talked for months and like, as the buzz just grew and grew and grew from convention to convention, like, um, he was always that person that would like call and be like, how you doing, man? Like, are you keeping your feet on the ground? This is crazy. This doesn't happen. This is not normal. This is definitely not normal. And I love that this industry is full of people who care first and then worry about the business second. I really feel like that's true. And it's not true in a lot of places. So I, it warms my heart to know that you had that experience, especially when it sounded like you needed it most. Well, and he was awesome because like when he could tell I was stressed, he, he told me, he goes, look, I'm a friend first. Like if you don't want an offer from the op, then I'm just going to be your mentor. And so all of those things were parts of the reasons why I was like, you know what? I think the op is the home for this. Like, feel free to provide an offer. Like that's, I'm, I'm open to that. So yeah, no, first time I've been able to announce it. They're my publisher. They're fanta- fantastic. Hey, Voyagers, this is Josh coming to you from the editing booth. I just want to let you know, we're going to stop right there for today. This is not all of Ammon's episode. The reason I'm stopping it here is because frankly, the week has caught up with me. I've had many work obligations and social obligations and my family has been sick. There's a whole lot of reasons why I am not able to do the full recording today. I'm on a bit of a time crunch, and I want to be able to deliver the best possible episode as I can, and I feel like I can't deliver it before the episode schedule that we committed to this new year. So here's part one of Emmett Anderson's interview. I hope you really enjoyed it. He has a lot more great insights and stories to share, which I will post next week. Thank you all so much for your patience. Hope you can forgive me, but I hope to see you again next week on another episode of Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Summary Podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.